Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is heading to Tampa, Florida this weekend coming up for Joanna versus Watterson. An absolute banger of a main event, followed by 13 other fights. That's right, 14 fight card, absolutely stacked. And we will get to some of those fights as part of our three fights, one parlay, one dog segment. We'll take a look at our three favorite fights as well as a parlay we think you should play and an underdog that we think is absolutely can't miss. If you want to win a little bit of money on this card, I highly suggest checking out that segment. Plus, I also highly suggest checking out our fighter interviews with two fighters from UFC Tampa. First, Marlon Vera talks about his upcoming fight with Andre Yule as well as doing some announcing with the UFC. Plus, we'll be talking to Devin Clark about getting ready for his fight against Ryan Spann with John Jones. That's right, his number one training partner, or very highly sought-after training partner, John Jones. But before we get to any of that amazing content, we want to tell you that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by A Story About a Fight from Rumination Films. A Story About a Fight is a short-action drama film about the beauty and the violence of the sport that we all love so much, MMA. The premise of the film is that a young up-and-coming fighter is forced to face a fighter who is being trained by his estranged father. It is a fun concept, but even more fun than that is the fact that this film is being put together by people who actually know MMA. You don't have to worry about it looking like second-rate MMA once it gets on the silver screen. Instead, you know that the director, the cinematographer, and the lead actor are both longtime MMA fans and they train MMA, so you can think that this is going to be the most authentic version of MMA we've seen on the screen. So I highly suggest checking it out. You can check them out at A Story A Fight on Twitter. That's A Story A Fight. And you can also check out their Indiegogo campaign and support the project. You can look at our pinned tweet on our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA, or you can check them out at Indiegogo. Just search for A Story A Fight. A story about a fight brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Dan Gumby Freeman with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Cheeto Marlon Vera, who fights Andre Ewell. This upcoming weekend at UFC in Tampa. So, Marlon, you're on a four-fight winning streak, which I think is a little bit underrated and under the radar right now. Are you frustrated that that hasn't resulted in a fight against a ranked opponent? Uh, honestly, dude, I don't give a fuck. I just like to fight. I like to be active. This is my third fight this year. Um, I'm already feeling maybe squeezing a, a 4-1 at the end of the year, so... You know, sometimes a lot of people get frustrated. They start, like, going on social media and try to campaign for stuff like that. But I feel that's a waste of energy. So I always put my energy on, keep training, keep getting better. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter anything. As long as you keep winning, you will get there at some at some point. So... I'm not trying to rush anything. I'm young. I'm, I don't have any injuries. I don't have any problems or anything that stop me from achieving anything I want. So I'm just going with the flow and, and staying ready and sharp. 
Well, I certainly love that mentality, especially about getting better. Now, I, I want to talk to you about, you know, your process of getting better because, you know, I, you know, if you look at your social media, we've got a, a few gyms that we've seen you at. We've seen you at Tino Yama. We've seen you at RVCA recently, you know, 10th Planet. You know, years ago, you were at Jackson Wink. Where did you decide to do this training camp at, and what was sort of the reasoning behind it? Well, um, when I moved here to Orange County, I, I moved, and I was only training out of Yama. And then Colin Oyama is a, is a good uh, striking coach, uh, a good head coach for MMA. Uh, he got a lot of experience, but um, the, gym, uh, the, the, the gym used to have, like, a really high-level black room, then... Before they came, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened, but they split over. So, and then it was Oyama taking over. And then I won three fights straight with, with like that training like that. And then it was when I get those two losses by decision in Brazil. And then I don't blame my coaches. I don't blame myself. I just think like I, I was needing a little more. So, a lot of people when they lose, they just fire everybody. They like, oh, fuck you, fuck you. I don't think that's the way to do it. I feel. If you're gonna fight somebody or split with somebody, I think something harder should happen or something bad should happen to do that and move away because I see a lot of people making changes and don't go well anyway. So when those when I lost those two fights in a row, what I did I was like, okay, I'm needing probably a, a wrestling coach, I'm needing probably a jiu-jitsu coach. So I started going to AOJ with the Mendes Bros. I'm uh, working in jiu-jitsu. They're probably the best in the world right now. Um, they have a great academy, and then I also start training with uh, with Daryl Christian, which, which is my actual wrestling head coach right now for the last four fights, I believe. Um, since I make these changes, I start winning again and start getting better. And I I didn't have to to left the the gym I I was at the beginning, so so I was um, you know I was getting better, but I keep the same people are wrong because I don't think they don't did anything wrong to me. Uh, so I just keep it with me, but I make some adjusts and some changes in my training and in my life. And then things start going well again. And then now I also, but I talk about the Mendes Bros, but there's a guy from Temple and Temple and which cornered me. So that's the guy that takes care of my Nogi. And, and then, as you say, I also trained with Parillo for the last two fights or maybe three, but constantly last two fights. So, Parillo is making an excellent job with my boxing. He's a great coach, so he's been training the best in the world for years. So, I just feel the more the more time I live in Orange County, the more I get to know cool people and really knowledge coaches. And then, I just start to get the work with the best people that I could because it's a short career, and then I need to be sharp and ready all the time. Well, I certainly love that mentality, too, of being able to take, you know, the different trainers from all different places and putting together a camp that works for you. Do you ever feel any pushback about that? Because some people are, are really, like, loyalists to their gym or, or, you know, all about our team, our team. Do, do you ever have anybody who confronts you about that? Well, I don't. nobody confronts me like that, like, to my face. But at the beginning, there's a lot of people that kind of, like, you know, giving me a weird vibe or something like that. But at the end of the day, I don't feel I'm doing nothing wrong. I feel everybody who helped me is getting is getting is getting paid or is getting not just paid because you can just pay somebody and then give the credit to other people, then you're gonna hurt them. 
I give credit to every single person who helped me. And I try to pay and I try to ask, hey, how much you will charge me to, to help me improve? Because I see a lot of fighters are like, oh, I'm famous. Uh, I'm a UFC fighter. You should turn me for free. And those are the guys that never get better, that they have a chance to really evolve and, and get that uh, level that they need to be in the top five, in the top ten. So I just try to keep the people who train me happy and credit them for what they do. And then I always tell individuals to my coaches, if somebody don't like what I'm doing, they can walk away from my life. We don't need to, you know, say, fuck you. We don't need that fire, that, that, that fire word to be like, okay, you fight. If, if, if somebody that works with me don't like it, they can walk away. There, there's plenty of people that is willing to work. And then I know something. I'm always willing to work, but I'm also always willing to get better. And then sometimes you get comfy in one place. Sometimes you know all the things. Sometimes you know how they fight. So the sparring gets easier when you really know your teammates. When you're like, okay, this guy's good at here, so I will, I will go with her. So believe it or not, you're cheating on yourself, and you don't know you're doing that. That's why I go to spar to other places sometimes. I do my, I do basically 100% of my sparring at Yama, but, you know, sometimes you get out of my comfort zone. I go, you know, I went with Cobb Johnson to Palm Springs uh, for a couple of months on the sparring Fridays. And I was I wasn't sparring MMA fighters. I was sparring like twelve boxers. And there, there's levels to the game. Then you're like, oh wow, my boxing is not that good. So I try to get better, and then I try to keep happy with people who trust me. And, and you mentioned working with Perillo in there, and you wor- mentioned working with Cub Swanson. Those are obviously two people who can help your MMA boxing quite a bit. Now, if we're looking at the matchup you have here with Andre Ewell, he's a guy who's never been knocked out. He's never been stopped due to strikes. Do you think that you're the type of person who can put him away? He never find me before. That's what's happening. That's very true. Uh, now, honestly, too, you've, you've been working on your submission game. You know, you mentioned a couple of different places you're training there, too. You know, two of your last three wins are by submission. D- do you see this as a fight that's going to the ground, too? Or is, you know, the, the plan just to go in there and knock him out? Um, we have a plan. We have a technical planning. What techniques we want to use, what type of resume we want to use. What we want in the ground. We have a plan. We work in the plan. We work in the striking plan. We work in the clinch plan. We work on everything. Uh, but at the end of the day, when the fight starts, you know, it's a different animal. You know, it's you just start. You start fighting, and you know, a lot of things happen in the middle of the fight. So, um, I have my plan. I started my plan. I visualize it, but at the end of the day. I will go with the flow in the fight. If the fight is in the stand-up, I will, I will do what I always do, put the pace, and then try to hurt my opponent at all times. But the fight almost all the time goes to the ground. And I'm a jiu-jitsu guy. I, 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 I was born in, in jiu-jitsu. So if the fight goes to the ground, I will grapple with the guy. And then I respect him. He's a good athlete. He seems to be quick. So I got to be aware. But... I'm not, I'm not losing this fight. Uh, this is another step I have to do to, to see if they finally put him in the top 15. So, if I really want to be there, if I feel I belong there, I gotta go and uh, and I have to run over this guy. Makes a lot of sense to me. Now, before I let you go, uh, I wanted to ask you a question. You know, you've been doing some Spanish commentary for the UFC as well. I want to ask, know how that come about and, and how's that been working in with your training? Like, how often are you doing it? 
and how much does it interrupt your training? Um, that's an awesome gig. Uh, before I signed with the UFC, I was dreaming about it, and I'm so glad I'm able to work there. So, no, no, no. So, uh, that was something I really liked uh, when growing up. I, that was something I was looking forward. And now that I'm doing it, I appreciate it and I love it. So, that really doesn't take too much from my training. That's like, you know, that's just one Saturday I have to take off. And before I used to train, before going in there. And, but then I just realized, like, that was a bad idea because that takes so much energy from you that when you train before that, you, you don't think with the right energy. So I just take one day off. So normally Fridays are my day off. When I have to work, I do it like once or twice a month sometimes. So when I have to work, I just work out on Friday. And then I take Saturday off and then Sunday. It's normally family day, but, you know, sometimes they do a light jog, jog or something like that. But one day of training will really change anything. And then I, I, I'm a lot about those things, you know, like if once a month I change one day for the other, nothing will change. So I'm a fighter. I took fighting fight in five days now with no training at all, coming off an injury, and then I knock the guy out. So it's not like I'm a lazy guy, but. It's a fucking fight. You just need to be in shape. You need to learn stuff year-round, and then you should be fine. Well, we're, we're certainly looking forward to your upcoming fight. Once again, this was Marwin Vera, who fights Andre Ewell at UFC in Tampa Bay this week coming up. Thank you so much for the time, Marwin. We really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. It was, I'm, I'm glad that we have to talk before the fight. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Devin Clark, who fights Ryan Spann at UFC in Tampa this upcoming weekend. So, Devin, it was a rocky road to your last fight. You know, you had a, a fight all in line against Ivan Shirkov, and then it got replaced at the last second for Darko Stoicic. What was that whole process like, especially being a fight over in Russia? And, and what did you gain from that process? Yeah, it was a huge lead up to it. You know, tough opponent, tough Russian opponent in Russia. I was really excited about it because that was kind of on my to-do list is to <laughs> fight a tough Russian in Russia. And it was, it was going to happen. And then, yeah, the night before he got pulled from the, the card. And um, we later found out that he had USADA issues. Um, so, you know, we, it, it was kind of heartbreaking at the time because, you know, the emotions are going and you're built up to, to fight. And then that was, that was the first, the closest I had been to a fight, and they, they pull it. That was the closest I had been um, the night before. And it was, yeah, it was it was hard to deal with. But, uh, yeah, I just had some Russia vodka and got over it. And then by the time I left Russia, we already had another opponent for Sweden. So it turned out to be all right. Yeah, and, and it wasn't sort of a quick turnaround. Did that mess with your training camp at all? Because I, I know, obviously, you know, you have a set time on your training camp. To just turn it around and add an extra three or four or five weeks I can't imagine is all that easy. It wasn't too bad, actually. I went home for a week, week and a half, just kind of to relax and see my family and stuff like that. And then I got right back in the camp, and it went this, the, that second camp went pretty quick. Well, that's good to hear, too. Now, I wanted to talk to you about some of your past opponents, too, because it seems like the last few that you fought, the UFC seems to just be lining you up with some, like, super young, super big, strong, athletic kind of guys. And not that the light heavyweight division doesn't have a ton of those, but it seems like, I mean, you get the brunt of it with Stoizic, I mean, uh, Shirkov, if you had gotten him, Alexander Rachich, even somebody uh -huh. like Mike Rodriguez. 
Do you think there's a reason behind any of that? Or, uh, you know, sort of what do you think of the UFC's matchmaking of you early on? I'm not really sure what their, you know, what, what their goal is with me. Uh, but I kind of look at it as a test. You know, they're testing me and make sure, or not to make sure, but just to see see how I turn out in these fights that I should be able to win if I'm going to be a next level fighter in the UFC. So I, I welcome these fights. They're all tough guys, and uh, but the cool thing is I have experience on them. So I always had that to take into the fight. Alexander Rakic, that was a really good fight for me. Uh, I had the fight won. I dropped him a couple times, had him hurt, and then end up you know end up getting dropped. And uh, he went won the fight, and it was it was uh, that's the most I've ever learned in a fight, even though it was one round. But I took that and learned from it, and got back to the got back to training, and it it added something to my game, um, and mainly working on my composure and stuff like that, because that's what got me in trouble in that fight as well as in past fights. But uh, but yeah, and then we just went forward from there and had a really good showing in uh, in Sweden. And I was going to ask you, too, about that fight with Rajic and with the fight with uh, Jan Blankovic, because, you know, if you look at the time, it, it seems like they're not, you know, two of the most dominant opponents. But now here they are both ranked in the top 10 in the UFC light heavyweight division. You said you took away composure from that second fight. Is there anything else you took away from those two fights with top? Well, one's a top five opponent and the other one's a top 10 opponent. Uh, I mean, just knowing that I can hurt guys like that. Uh, even in the Jan fight, it was kind of a it, it went middle of two rounds, you know, and it was uh, it was a close fight. It wasn't, you know, he didn't just slaughter me, but he caught me with with a submission that I didn't see see coming, and I was rushing rushing for something that wasn't there. So that's where the composure comes in. And same with the racket fight, uh, just you know, I just gotta use my composure, stay composed, and use my skill set and my athleticism which a lot of the guys in the UFC, it's hard for them to keep up with. Um, my my fighting style, my body type, it's it's hard. You can't really duplicate it. So I have to remember I have that going into these fights. Yeah, and, and you're fighting a guy, too, who also maybe not the easiest body type to duplicate either. You know, Ryan Spann is, is a dude who's six foot five. He's a big, long dude. What are some of the things you're doing to get ready for his body type and his athleticism? That's actually pretty easy for me to duplicate <laughs> here at Jackson Wink MMA. Um, I have multiple guys that I train with that are six five and the same reach, if not more. Uh John Jones being one of them, Christian Edwards, uh Dontel Mays, and there's there's even more guys in the gym too. So it's uh yeah, we've got a lot of big guys out here and they kinda they're uh they're able to uh mock him in a way to you know, for training. And it's you know, it's, it's going to turn out really good. And, and has John been one of the got main guys who's been duplicating Ryan Spann's, you know, move that set for you uh, as you lead up to this fight? Or is he just, like, another guy who you get ready for with the length? Uh, he's actually been helping me specifically for this fight um, in this camp. So um, him not being in camp right now, he just come, comes in to help me. Uh, we do drilling and stuff like that. And it's been, uh, I think it's going to be beneficial uh, for this fight, especially especially John with his, his uh, wisdom and know-how and, and the body type alone. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask you, too, before I let you go, um, I've got one more question I want to ask you about the card in general, but I also wanted to ask you, 
you know, Ryan Spann, traditionally a very tough opponent, a guy who can take a shot or two. Is he a type of fighter you think you can get out of here on this? And, and if not, sort of what's your prediction for this fight? Uh, he's he's one of those guys I think I can break. I know I can break him uh, as long as, uh, as well as many other fighters in the division. Uh, he's one of those guys that can be broken. And as long as you don't, as long as I don't fight fearful of what he can do uh, while at the same time being composed, so uh, yeah, I, I feel really good about this fight. It's a perfect fight for me. Uh, I like the I like the body style. Like I said, I train with those guys every day, uh, the same height, same same style, even more reach. So uh, I feel comfortable and confident going into the fight. And uh, yeah, I predict a win. However it comes out, I always had that. I always am capable of knocking people out and finishing them. Uh, we'll see if it happens this time. If not, I'm gonna grind them out and uh, yeah, be round decision or decision win whatever whatever happens i'm i'm just ready to go awesome and now i did want to ask you before i let you go through the last question here uh you know it's a fight card that's being headlined by a teammate in michelle waterson uh, are, are you going to be rushing out yeah. to try to see the main event how excited are for you for her getting the main event on such a large scale here yeah i'm definitely excited for that fight and i'm i'm going to do my best to to watch it after my fight uh it's a big opportunity for her uh, she wins this fight. It looks like she should be setting up for for a title fight, mm-hmm. um, and you know that's that's what uh, what I, I could see happening for her. She's such a talented athlete, talented fighter, good mother, and everything like that. So um, yeah, I'm really hoping she can get this done. Well, we'll certainly be looking forward to her fight, but we'll, first of all, we have to be looking forward to your fight. Once again, this is Devin Clark, who fights Ryan Spann at UFC in Tampa this weekend. Devin, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. And those interviews with Marlon Vera and Devin Clark are brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. If you train a martial art and you are not tracking your progress with Maroon Social, let me tell you, you are missing out because this system is probably the way that has helped me progress the most in jiu-jitsu ever because before I was taking notes on you know soggy notebooks that I would forget at the gym half the time and instead now I'm taking them directly in my smartphone. Plus, it also gives you updates about how often you're training week to week, month to month to make sure you're making the progress you want to make Plus, you can log things like competitions and weigh-ins and things like that. I highly suggest checking it out. Maroon Social. Now, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's talk about Devin Clark. Not a bad way to get ready for another long and strong 205-er, huh? Yeah, Gumby, I think it's pretty awesome uh, when people are brought in to mimic, you know, specific styles and fighters. I always like hearing about who fills in in those roles. Um, but I just think it's one of the cooler things in MMA when game planning for a specific opponent. Yeah, I think so too. In the fact that he has a guy, I mean, like he's fighting a guy, Brian Spann, like we said in the interview, he's six foot five. He's a big, long guy with lots of power. I mean, like how lucky is he to have a guy on hand who's willing to do that work and be world-class like John Jones? You got to imagine he's going to come into this fight super prepared. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the name John Jones, and I really think it's worth talking about uh, this past weekend, obviously, by the time you're hearing this. I'm sure you're an MMA nerd if you're listening to us, and you already know that Israel Adesanya put on a hell of a performance knocking out Robert Whitaker. Uh, And now the buzz, as we get a few days away from that pay-per-view, 
while it looks like, and it makes a lot of sense, Paulo Costa would be the next in line for the middleweight title shot, but there seems to be a lot of buzz about a potential John Jones fight. Yeah. Ah, man, dude, and you know me. I'm the last person to root for, you know, champion versus champion stuff, but I really hope we do get this title fight at some point in time. With that being said, I think, you know, Israel Adesanya is 100% right in his response and saying that, like, he's got challengers that he needs to take care of first. You know, like, you got to fight Paulo Costa. The dude's undefeated, and he's on a very similar-looking run to Adesanya was. You know, I'd love to see him fight somebody like Yoel Romero. And with the, the rise he's been on, you know, you got to say he's probably got to go out there and beat somebody like Jared Cannonier. Or if Darren Till looks like a killer at 185, you know, like, he's another guy. So, like, there are three, maybe four guys you could see him beat up. But with all that being said, he could take care of all of those people, and we could be talking about John Jones right around Christmas time next year. Yeah, I I got to say, it's one of those matchups that I don't necessarily know I need to see. Like, I'm in need to see for Khabib versus Tony at this point. I'd like to see Jones versus Ida Sanya. You could take my money right now. I'm not in need to see territory just yet. I do think Jones being the bigger fighter and probably the better all-around MMA fighter, I think he would neutralize Ida Sanya's speed factor, one, with his reach, two, with his wrestling and clinch game, I think would really fuck up Ida Sanya. But again, I'd love to see it. Yeah, and I think those three or maybe four fights that we're talking about right now, those three or four fights take it from being something you really want to see to something you absolutely have to see, right? If he decimates Paulo Costa, he absolutely puts a beat down on Yoel Romero, and then he knocks out Jared Cannonier or Darren Till, like, then you need to see him step up and face somebody like John Jones. So, like, I think it does a service to the fight itself, and it also serves the purpose of cleaning out the middleweight division. So, yeah, let them fight those contenders first, and uh, we'll see that sometime. Well, I'll tell you what I can guarantee we'll see, and that's some bangers of fights this coming weekend. And we, of course, are going to get to our favorite segment on the show, Three Fights, One Parlay, One Dog. For UFC Tampa, we're going to break down three fights, give you a parlay, give you a dog for all your betting needs. But before we get to it, Gumby, one may wonder, does any company sponsor said segment? Absolutely. Three Fights, One Parlay, and One Dog is brought to you by Rampage Coffee. Head to rampagecoffee.com. Make sure to use promo code TURTLE20 for 20% off all of your coffee purchases. And if you are the type of person who needs that little extra boost in order to get going in the morning or maybe get you off the couch and head to the gym, make sure to check out their C4 brand of coffee, which has got four times the caffeine of a normal cup of coffee. Once again, that's Rampage Coffee. Make sure to use promo code TURTLE20. All right, we got a banger of a main event in UFC Tampa. Uh, it's Joanna, the former Joanna champion, Joanna Jacek versus the karate hottie Michelle Waterson. Joanna betting off at a minus 400 favorite. Waterson, a very strong uh, plus 325 dog, in my opinion. And I say that just because I think the plus 325 um, is a lot. Uh, though I do think Joanna will win. Joanna is coming off a loss to Valentina Shevchenko for the vacant UFC Women's Flyweight Championship, beat Tisha Torres before that, back-to-back losses to Rose Namajunas for the Women's Strawweight Champion before that, championship before that, win over Jessica Andrade before that. So Joanna is 
and three in her last five, and that's dating back to 2017. Michelle Waterson is coming off a unanimous decision win over Carolina Kowalkovic. She was an underdog in that fight. She beat Felice Herrig before that. She beat Courtney Casey before that. Losses to Tisha Torres and Rose Namajunas via rear naked choke before that. So she is uh, the inverse of Joanna. She's three and two in her last five, dating back to 2017. Who you got? So, you know, you mentioned those the absolute reverse, right? Like Michelle Watterson is on a great streak, and then you got here, Joanna Janjacek, on not such a good streak. But let, let's talk about those opponents, too, because I'm not disparaging the opponents here, Michelle Watterson, but there's a reason why she's walking in as an underdog in this fight. You know, like, if you look at the rankings of her op- last three opponents, who she all beat, she, they are all ranked, but they're ranked, like, 15, 13, 12. Right, like she's fighting the bottom of the top 15, and before that she had a loss to Tisha Torres, who, let's be honest, since then, Tisha Torres has not looked very good. You know, Tisha Torres is now, after that fight, after beating Michelle Watterson, on a four-fight losing streak to three champions, but then also Marina Rodriguez, who, you know, Marina Rodriguez, not bad, but we're talking about a four-fight losing streak now for Tisha Torres since she beat uh, Michelle Watterson, and, and, you know, not just to talk all about opponents here either, but let's talk about the fact that, you know, Joanna Janjacek is a killer where they're striking. You know, the people who have beat her are people who were able to out-tactically strike her. And, and to be honest, a little bit, bully her a little bit, right? Because isn't that what, you know, uh, Valentina Shevchenko did because she was a little bigger? Isn't that what Rose Namajunas did? I don't know that Michelle Watterson has that style. She's a woman who used to fight at 105 down at Adam weight. She's small for the division. And to be honest, I just don't think her striking is as fast or as crisp as Joanna Janjacek. I don't think she has the grappling to make this into a dogfight. And, and you're right, the, the odds do make it at least interesting to think about playing Watterson. But if you're picking this straight up, it, it's got to be Joanna champion all day. Yeah, agreed. The striking advantage is just so drastic between the two of them. Yeah, and, and not just too in the idea that it's, you know, like she's going to land more, but we also have to remember that Joanna has put a couple of women away with strikes, right? She put Carla Esparza away with strikes. She put Jessica Pena away with strikes. So like, she's the type of person who could build them up enough to put somebody away. And, you know, I, I don't think that's out of the question here either in a five round fight. All right. I'm so excited about this next fight. It just can't be understated how excited I am about this fight. Did I mention I'm excited about this fight? So excited about this fight. We get to see Crone Gracie in a second UFC fight. Uh, the young upstart, uh, Jiu-Jitsu Phenom, now MMA prospect, is 5-0 and in his professional career. We saw him against Alex Caceres back in February of this year. He won via rear naked choke in the first round. Actually showed some flashy striking on the way to getting Alex Caceres to the ground, which I'm not sure anyone was really ready for. He's going to take on a very big name, a veteran, a certain step up in competition from Alex Caceres, albeit a veteran who's on a bit of a losing streak. He's facing Cub Swanson, who's on a four-fight losing streak, albeit losses to Brian Ortega, Frankie Edgar, Anato Moicano, and Shane Burgos via split decision. You'd have to go back to April of 2017, him beating Artem Lobov for his last win. And if you want to peel it back even more, he had the Doohoo Choi fight back in December of 2016, which was like fight of the ever, one of the craziest fights you'll ever see. Probably changed the course of his career. He's, you know, four, uh, one and four since that very fight. If you're looking for the gambling odds, Crone Gracie, a minus 165 favorite. Cub, 
the slight dog at plus 140. What do you think? I'm going to be honest. I think Cub Swanson at plus 140 is a little insane. And don't get me wrong. Like you said, he's been on a skid. But again, if we're talking opponents, he's got title challenger, former champion, you know, Hanato Moicano, who's, you know, pretty much a killer. And Shane Burgos, who's definitely on the rise. Now, if I asked you, how does Cron Gracie beat Cub Swanson? What's the obvious answer here? Uh, submission, sir. Right. He gets him down to the ground and he submits him. Now, here's a follow-up question. We mentioned the loss to Frankie Edgar for Cub Swanson. What do you think Frankie Edgar's takedown numbers were against Cub Swanson? Um, you know, I'm actually trying to remember that fight, and I feel like I'm blanking out on it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he got in a three-round. It wasn't a main event, so three-round fight. What do you have? Two takedowns? He was 0 of 8 taking Cub Swanson to the ground. That's right. Frankie Edgar, the the wrestling machine that he is, 0 and 8 at taking Cub Swanson to the ground. I think people are sleeping on how good Cub Swanson's takedown defense is here. And as much as I love Cron Gracie, I love the story. I love the fact that we can talk about Hickson being in his corner or Hickson being cage side. I think this is a fight that favors Cub Swanson because it's going to be very hard for Kron to get to the ground. And while he did look good striking against Alex Caceres, who does a bunch of flashy, kind of silly things on his feet, Cub Swanson is a very technical dude on his feet. Like, right? Like, Cub Swanson is a dude who, if not technical, it's because he's throwing caution to the wind against the guy who he knows will throw caution against the wind in, in somebody like Artem Lobov or Du Choi. But when he needs to be technical, he has been technical. And as a result, like, I think he keeps us on the feet and probably wins a decision and possibly even knocks Kron out. Uh, man, that's tough. I, I'm i looking at Cub's record, and in the first Frankie fight, he got taken down seven times. Now, that was five years ago. Holloway took him down three times. Artem Lobov took him down twice. Duhu Choi took him down once, but I imagine that might have been off, like, a crazy... Uh, exchange, scramble, who knows, that that fight should be thrown out the window for staffs. Hanato Moicano took him down one time. And then I look at the fact that Cub Swanson does have a history of submission losses. He has seven losses via submission. Brian Ortega got a guillotine choke from a front headlock, if I remember correctly. Uh, Max Holloway got a guillotine choke. Frankie Edgar got a neck crank in their first fight. Ricardo Lamas got an arm triangle choke way back in the WEC days. I can certainly see uh, Crone just getting a, a hold of a front headlock, and it's going to be Guillotine City. But this is something new that you're bringing to my attention, something I'll now look for. Uh, but I still have supreme faith in Crone just in some sort of an exchange. He just has to get a hold of the neck, and it's going to be lights out. Yeah, I kind of agree with you that if he does get a chance on the ground – you know, Cub might not survive because, like you said, he he has submitted, been submitted a couple of times. But you know, like if if you're going back to that Ortega fight, Ortega actually failed on a takedown too, and Ortega was hit almost two thirds of the punches that Cub Swanson threw. So, I mean, like it, it is clear when he fights a guy who is mostly looking for jujitsu, he's a, not afraid to unleash the the pain, so to speak. Very interesting. Uh, also interesting is this last fight that we'll be breaking down. Nico Price, a minus 170 favorite to James, the Texecutioner Vic, a plus 150 dog. Nico Price coming off a loss to Josh Neal uh, just this past July, actually, just a few months ago. Beat Tim Means before that in March. 
and lost to Abdul Razak Al-Hassan back in September of 2018, win over Randy Brown, win over George Sullivan before that to round out his 2018. So he is 3-2 and two in his last five. Uh, the favorite here, uh, James Vick, a once, you know, I, I guess he was always a bit of an underdog as a prospect as he was reeling off uh, six wins in a row. He was 9-0 and at one point in April of 2016, lost to Benil Darush, but then came back and reeled off four wins against Abel Trujillo, Polo Reyes, Joseph Dovey, Francisco Trinaldo. But then since that, a three-fight losing streak, but to three guys at the very top of the division, Justin Gaethje via KO, Paul Felder, and Dan Hooker via KO. Uh, no shame in losses to those guys, really, but it's certainly clear that James Vick is probably not going to be a perennial, you know, top eight fighter by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, that all being said, who are you taking here? So I'm actually going to go with James Vick because I think this move up to welterweight is going to be good for him. As you said, you know, like I still don't expect him to be, you know, a top eight, nine, ten guy at welterweight because, you know, he just seems to get hit a little bit too much for my liking in order to see him surviving too long against the likes of like Santiago Ponzinibbio or even somebody like Gilbert Burns. But, like, yeah, it's going to be good for him to move up a weight class. He got knocked out by all of those top seven guys there at lightweight. And, and you have to imagine that some of it is due to the weight cut. So I'm, I'm thinking that it probably makes his chin a little bit better. And, look, you know, Nico Price is a guy who's got a lot of exciting knockouts on his record. But he's not a guy who's beaten a lot of, like, really top-tier guys. You know, you, you can look at his his uh, you know list of victories in there. And, you know, you mentioned Randy Brown and Tim Means. You know, the Tim Means fight was, he landed a good punch. He definitely deserves credit for that. Randy Brown took him down and he hit hammer fist from the bottom and somehow that knocked him out in one of the most insane looking knockouts of all time. Apart from that, he lost to a guy like Razak Halasan by punches. He lost to Jeff Neal, who's, you know, a legit prospect there at, at welterweight by punches. So he's a guy who gets knocked out. And I think we forget that James Vick has got some big power. So it wouldn't surprise me to see James Vick land a big shot here and pick up the win. All right. Well, that is pretty interesting. And again, something to think about. You've kind of uh, made a case for two dogs, but let's hear our official underdog of the week, which is Gerald Mearshart at plus 155 versus Eric Anders. Yeah, I think Gerald Mearshart is probably a dog I'm more confident in than in the two that I just mentioned in, in Cub Swanson or James Vick. And, and the reason being is that if you look at Gerald Mearshart's career, the dude has fought it's seemingly a hundred times, right? Like I'm pretty sure he's on his 40th fight. Um, and the crazy thing about all that while he's actually, he's on his 42nd fight. I take that back. So he's on his 40 seconds fight. He's been knocked out one time. That's right. He's been knocked out one time. And that one knockout is to Tiago Santos, who's now an absolute killer at light heavyweight. And if you really look at it, Eric Anders, way of winning, Eric Anders pretty much only wins when he's able to knock somebody out. Um, you know, he's, he's got one decision in the UFC, but apart from that, he's losing a lot of decisions and he's winning by a lot of knockouts. So I, I worry here about whether or not Gerald Mearshart is just too technical for somebody like Eric Anders, and he's just going to play such a smart game that Eric Anders isn't going to land that big shot. And, you know, he's got a good chin anyway, even if he does land the big shot. Mearshart's got the better sub game. I think he's a great underdog to play on this card. Well, speaking of sub-game, we're going to include someone with a tremendous sub-game in our parlay of the week. Marlon Vera betting off at minus 185, and Mackenzie Dern, the return of Mackenzie Dern, it rhymes, 
at minus 140. Parlay those two fighters together, Marlon Vera, Mackenzie Dern. It comes out to a plus 165 parlay. What do you like about this? So I like Marlon Vera for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, he was on our show. No, not just for that reason. But uh, also, you know, he's fighting Andre Ewell, who has shown some really bad takedown defense in his last couple of fights. Uh, I believe he allowed six takedowns in his last time out to a guy who wasn't a particularly great wrestler either. Um, he did wind up winning that fight, but he's going to be fighting somebody in Marwin Vera who's been doing a ton of work in his top game and has now rattled off four straight wins, which, by the way, if he wins this weekend, he will have the longest winning streak tied with Peter Jan and Corey Sandhagen in all of the Bantamweight division. So, like, this is a guy who's on a hot streak. He's been working on his top game, and I think it just spells disaster for somebody like Andre Ewell. I also like Mackenzie Dern coming back. I don't know if anybody's been following her in the lead-up to this fight, but she looks in better shape than she's ever been, you know, recent childbirth be damn she had a kid four months ago and she's in the best shape of her life i think she's fighting amanda rebus i think she should without a problem deal with amanda rebus um probably by submission heck if you could get these two in props for submissions that would probably be a fun bet too um but i I think both of them should win pretty comfortably and you should get a pretty good payout if you pair them hey hit us up on our twitter at top turtle mma you can yell at us for some of these picks or you can thank us for some of these picks. We accept both love and hate feedback at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Top Turtle Podcast. Gumby, why don't you wrap us up, take us home, and get us out of here. And, of course, that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We thank you, the fans, for listening in each and every week. We could not have what we have here without you guys. Plus, we want to thank our sponsors, A Story About a Fight from Rumination Films, Maroon Social, make sure to download the Maroon Social app, and Rampage Coffee. Plus, we want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. They give us the platform to get in your ears. Plus, we want to thank... Uh, you guys who are all following us on Twitter, and for those of you who aren't following us on Twitter, hit us up at Top Turtle MMA. We like to get all kinds of feedback on there. Plus, we've got all kinds of cool contests and trivia and good things like that. Make sure to check that out. Now, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonti, and we will see you next week. <laughs>